with topics ranging from how cloud computing is streamlining government operations to exploring the intersection of machine learning and healthcare data. Foley and Larder's Innovative Technology Insights podcast examines not just the legal ramifications of developments at the cutting edge of technology, but how they are affecting businesses, governments, and individuals. In each episode, we will lead discussions between researchers, industry leaders, and regulators for their thoughts on this changing world. So without further ado, let's get started. Thank you for joining us today, where we'll share a client lens perspective from one of our clients, Context Labs, who has a software as a service-based, artificial intelligence-based, blockchain-based application that provides a secure platform for generating, tracking, and managing digital certificates for carbon credits, a service they call decarbonization as a service. Today, we have with us Chief Business Officer of Context Labs, Chris Zendis. I've had the pleasure of working and knowing you for the, the past decade, and it truly has been a pleasure. Can you give us an overview of the company technology in your role, in your own words, so that our audience can get to know you a little bit better before we continue with the discussion? I'm the chief business officer, which is kind of a glorified title for someone who spends a lot of time trying to find and filter and fix opportunities to generate revenue from, in some cases, some fairly complex value propositions. We are a SaaS company. We are obsessed with information security and cyber security, particularly cyber physical security, the machine data coming out of the sensors that are in, on, and near the assets we care about. We employ lots of different machine learning and AI routines, very specific and very narrow AI routines. We have a distributed ledger that sits underneath all of our workflows so that we're creating that glass pipeline of a data supply chain. And what we're doing is we're working with primarily the big physical asset owners and operators. So think energy, think upstream, midstream, downstream, production, transportation, and refining. And these are the entities that own and control significant physical assets that have an intimate relationship with climate. Those assets, if they're operated well, should have minimum carbon emissions. They should be managed very tightly for their emissions footprint. They're not always, but they need to be. And on the other side, climate physical risk can represent a significant operational or financial risk if climate, primarily through water, interdicts the operation of the asset. So think of it this way. Climate is no longer an externality. Emissions needs to become an operating variable. Companies that have significant carbon footprints or carbon emissions or intensity challenges need to see carbon as another performance specification for their assets, for their processes, and for the products and services they deliver. They need to start to account for carbon so that they can analyze baselines, analyze performance, and where they are outperforming their peers, leverage that proof of low carbon intensity or low carbon emissions, leverage that in both commercial and capital markets. I want to be clear, it's not always going to be about a premium. In some cases, we have clients who, for example, might be in the natural gas space and would like to supply the EU, but can't get their product in because they're not compliant with a regulation called OGMP 2.0. So it can be about defending access to a market as much as extending access in a market. It can be about expanding access to capital among investors who have those green or SLB sleeves. It could also be about defending the possibility of an interest rate hike. Our thesis is climate is no longer an externality carbon intensity, carbon emissions, and carbon is an operating variable. 
and proving your performance is going to be paramount to continuing with that license to operate, defending access to markets, and expanding your opportunity to grow share, grow margin, and grow enterprise value. Chris, thanks for the pun on words here, the context of Context Lab. <laughs> Can you describe your client lens with respect to your customers, what challenges they have, and why they come to Context Labs and use their technology to solve it? Sure. So this concept of, say, you know, climate generally can be seen through both a regulatory lens or it can be seen through this voluntary lens. I don't like the term voluntary because it, I think it's misleading. I think companies are accounting for and tracking, say, carbon as one major dimension of climate performance. They're doing it for two reasons. One, because it is a compliance requirement. It is a regulatory requirement. They need to track and report at some level. And the second reason why they're doing it isn't voluntary. I think it's compelled. They're compelled to do it because of a competitive pressure, because of a customer requirement. Maybe there's an industry non-regulatory benchmark, but nobody's doing it because it feels like a good thing to do. In some cases, companies are coming to us because they want to automate their reporting to reduce cost or error. In other cases, they're coming to us because they're understanding that they're licensed to operate in certain state jurisdictions, California, Colorado, Massachusetts, Ohio, Pennsylvania. They're licensed to operate as being impinged by their inability to get their carbon emissions under control. And then in other cases, they're truly looking at trying to build new assets and having, in some cases, some challenges with raising project finance or debt finance for a hydrocarbon-based asset. So they're coming to us for lots of different reasons, but the value proposition we deliver or the challenge that we're addressing for them is always the same. They are somewhere on their climate journey and they're somewhere in their digital journey. And what they need us to do is help them find the intersection in how digitalization can help them achieve and prove their climate goals. They're not going to be able to do it with engineers in the field, uh, taking notes with wax pencils and waterproof notebooks. That's not going to work. They can't do it with disparate sensing and instrumentation systems that don't have context. They really do need to revisit where they are in their digital maturity cycle or life cycle in order for them to take the next leap in their climate or carbon journey. And we work with folks that are typically on a scale of, say, one to 10, one being immature, 10 being mature. You know, the UN PRI has a nice climate maturity schedule, say, from one to 10. And then NIST has a nice cyber maturity cycle, the CMMI model. We're typically working with people that are in the, say, the four to five range all the way up through, you know, the highest end of maturity. We're trying to help them figure out how they can be operationally and financially relevant in their approach to achieving real carbon performance so that they can prove it and where possible they can make money from it. Thanks, Chris. Let's talk tech in terms of digitizing across the climate journey they take. Right? Context Labs has a very rich tech stack that an enterprise solution enabled by SaaS, AI, blockchain that ties the physical world to the digital world. Can you discuss how these technologies help you solve those customers' sure. challenges, enable you to adapt and scale to each customer's needs? Sure. So I think fundamentally, any of the work that your teams would do in this space, I think, needs to begin with, well, I think the scary word, disclosure. We have lots of reporting regimes across lots of national and subnational jurisdictions. My opinion is that while they're necessary, they're insufficient. I say they're insufficient because if you take the GHG, the Greenhouse Gas Reporting Protocol from the EPA, 
that mandates a certain amount of disclosure from an ExxonMobil, a Chevron, whomever. You can be compliant with that disclosure and the commercial market will yawn and the capital markets will not care. You will be trying to make or state a claim about your carbon performance or your carbon intensity, about how you might have, for example, the lowest carbon intensity natural gas and point to your greenhouse gas reporting protocol disclosure and no one will care. And so I think this is the place where I think we need to start and where I think the Context Labs value proposition starts. In order for industrials with big physical footprints and carbon intensity or water intensity challenges to move commercial or capital markets more in their favor, they have to disclose beyond compliance. And the biggest disclosures they need to make are machine data from sensors that are in, on, or near their core process assets. They've got to take certain crown jewel data that has never been conceived of as being disclosed to a third party, and that becomes the fundamental disclosure moment. So what do we do? We start with that premise. You need to disclose beyond compliance, crown jewel data, and Context Labs will say, we will treat your crown jewel data as a national security asset. Information security, cybersecurity, this digital thread of trust, we start with that. We start with tooling that we can prove to them will protect their data from leakage, from misinformation or disinformation. We start there. Second is we have a distributed ledger that sits underneath all of our workflows so that every entity that enters a transaction and every event in those transactions is recorded to this distributed ledger. That's the glass pipeline. Now, the ledger itself doesn't necessarily provide superior security. What it provides is non-repudiation. What it provides is the ability for no one to say, I didn't say that, we didn't provide that, that wasn't our state. So in many ways, it's about attestation and about non-repudiation and risk management or mitigation, I would say commercially versus in a cyber sense. Now, once we've got data hardened, and then once we're running workflows that are in the ledger, we're then able to say to our clients, we can take your privileged data and help you disclose it and reduce commercial and operational financial risk through these disclosures. One way that we strengthen all of those workflows, to your point earlier, Chris, is by having a very strong API, application programming interface, that enables us to embed second and third party opinions into these workflows. And so when you start thinking about this, if you're Acme widget and you're trying to make a claim of low carbon intensity and you're going up against, say, a big sovereign wealth fund or a big pension fund, and you're looking for three or five or $10 billion in project finance, and they've got a big climate mandate, they're going to be asking you questions about your past performance, your current performance as indicators of your future performance. And you can come and say, I'm Acme, and this is my claim. Or you can come and say, I'm Acme, and here's the evidence of my claim, and I've subjected it to these scientific experts, these industrial experts, these risk and finance experts. They've all signed on to the accuracy of my data, to the accuracy of my analytics, and to the accuracy of my statements, we get to a whole new level of backing climate claims. And so those three things, the securing the data as if it was a national security asset, this glass pipeline underneath all the workflows, and then the secure integration of these second and third party opinions meets or exceeds existing and proposed regulation coming from, say, SEC, FDIC, NASD, and others. Does that help? Yes, it does, Chris. Thank you so much. And good segue, because we talked about the importance of machine data data. You and I, in context lab, we always have this conversation about talking about data respect to protecting your interests. And you know one of my taglines is that data is the new form of IP counts. Data has become so important to products, services, and solutions, and maybe so much so that it's 
actually more valuable, more important than the solution itself. Can you describe Context Lab's perspective on data, its approach to its data governance model, and how you sure. see it playing a role in digitizing the physical world? Sure. So, I mean, Chris, you helped us coin a phrase here, asset-grade data. Data that has our Context Lab's brand of trust services, identity services, hardening, enrichment, and contextualization services. Those are just different dimensions of pre-processing. Imagine really intense pre-processing to prep the data to then say, we can stamp this data as having passed all these tests. It is asset-grade data, meaning it's a new asset class where you can use this data, share this data, disclose this data across a panoply of applications. So for those of you that are more technical than I am, you know sometimes a single sensor provides a single data stream, and it's fairly brittle with respect to what it can tell you or how you can use it. Sometimes data breaks down when you put it in a new application or a new context. Our primary thesis is data as an asset class, asset-grade data, number one. Number two, your data is always your data. We are very clear. Data is not digital exhaust. It is a national security asset. It's a crown jewel asset. In many cases, we might argue data about emissions or data about water or data about some other important climate mandate in a given context could be as powerful as the physical production itself when it comes to trying to create brand, create market awareness, create differentiation, create share, create margin. And so we then say it's always your data. We don't build subscriptions. We don't repurpose the data. We don't have second, third, fourth exploits of the data unless it is for our clients. And third and last we'd say is that if the data can be imbued or if we can embed these security regimes into the data so that it can move across workflows, then we're actually kind of having our cake and eating it too or enabling our clients to. You're going to disclose more data and you're going to reduce your risk. And so that's kind of anathema, right? Data in motion is at risk and data disclosed is at risk. But we would say that our tooling, which has put us in position to be one of the 35 quote unquote permanent members of the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, that's a bona fide for us. NCCOE and NIST use our tooling for all kinds of critical infrastructure programs. So we end with this idea that you can in fact disclose and manage risk if you use the right tooling. So for us, you know, Chris, you and I talk about this, our time and free will as the paramount human right, clean air and water to make a healthy corpus to harness that spiritual and that mental and that energy that is human. I think data might be the third part of that holy trinity going forward where ultimately every individual, and we do work with indigenous communities all the way up through the Fortune 5000, any living entity, whether it's a human or it's a corporation, really does need to see core data about its existence, identity, its location, state, and status as being one of those maybe critical human rights. That's how we view data. Maybe it's a little prosaic, but when we neck it down, the code that we've built, the software that we market, everything that we do, every workflow, every contract, every engagement, you know, we honor the mission, climate alignment, by honoring the clients who've made that commitment, honestly, by honoring the data. Chris, great thesis there in terms of the importance of data and part of the holy trinity there of human rights. <laughs> I really appreciate that. And it fits into my view of the world as well. So to kind of wrap up here, I have one more question for you, Chris, right? And this is a little bit more future thinking as well. I'm hearing from economic analysts that the energy sector is one of the sectors leading our way back to economic recovery. And we're seeing an increase in deals and transactions in this space. What are you seeing in your role as CBO for demand in the energy market? What are the drivers now and in the future for your solution? 
So the vast majority of our business right now is in energy or energy transition. We do a lot in hydrocarbon, primarily gas, more than oil. We're doing it upstream, midstream, downstream. We're doing lots of work in those energy transition fuels, including starting to do work in hydrogen and ammonia, et cetera. And we're doing lots of work in renewables. Here's what I'd say about that, back to sort of the Holy Trinity. Climate security, energy security, food security are inextricably linked. One cannot achieve one at the expense of the other two. They're kind of like three interrelated dials, if you will, and a meter. We need to get our energy security more in line with our climate security. We need to get our energy security more in line with our community security. Energy has to continue to become more available. It has to continue to become more affordable. But most importantly, or as importantly, it's got to be aligned with a climate neutral or climate regenerative industry. And I'm just back from Abu Dhabi, who hosted ADIPEC, the world's largest energy-only trade show. 160,000 folks were there. And I can tell you, the number three, the number eight, the number 15, I mean, we had the largest energy companies in the world spending time with us because they know that in order to meet their mandate, meet the moment, meet the mission, it's not just about the MMBTU or the kilowatt hours or the kilojoules. It's not just about the energy metrics, but it's about how they produce those energy metrics. You're going to continue to see folks try to lock down access to, I believe, primarily gas more than oil, but the best hydrocarbon sources possible. But more than that, all the way at the other end is no end of discussion around how far can we go in hydrogen and not continue to blow out CO2 emissions budgets, A, and B, to not deplete aquifer. You know, electrolysis is a very water-heavy process. And then if you keep going further to the right is the concept of, say, the Department of Energy and the Energy Shed program, whereby in the future, the vision is we can not only select on an electric or utility bill to pay a premium for green, but we might be able to pay a second premium for local or for a specific source. Energy Shed proposes to put distributed energy resources in currently and historically, and I say currently to be very sensitive and specific, currently and historically underserved, underinvested, underrepresented markets. Imagine if traditionally underserved and currently underserved infrastructure development environments, those census tracts that are not as resilient as they need to be, what if they can start to crack the code on getting energy from a solar farm into a distribution network that right now isn't so friendly? to the data coming in from the solar farm. The point is whether it's the hydrocarbons or the transition fuels or the next generation of truly being able to have not just an intelligent and adaptive grid, but an intelligent and adaptive marketplace. All of that needs hard data from the physical world run through secure systems so that the big people in the big chairs can make the big decisions and the little people in the little chairs can do the same. These tools and methods, I believe, can speak to the Fortune 5000 and can speak to the folks that are in the base of the pyramid if that kind of data can be trusted and distributed and used to make these kinds of decisions, then I do think we have the opportunity to start to make progress on energy security, on climate security, on food security. And then that will be the gift that keeps on giving for community and national security. Chris, huge thanks. What I love always having conversations with you, I'm always learning something new, <laughs> right? You definitely, uh, and you have a passion there, right? So we thank you for all your insights, sharing your client lens in perspective from your world. You can tell you are very passionate about securing our physical world through digitization. And, and I'm sure everyone here has learned a lot. We appreciate all the perspectives you gave us. So really big thanks to you, Chris.
Thank you for listening to this production from Foley and Lardner, LLP. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and is intended as a general overview. The podcast does not constitute legal advice nor solicitation to provide legal services. It's not meant to convey a legal position of Foley and Lardner, LLP, on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. Any opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the firm, its partners, or its clients. In listening to the podcast does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. The listener should not act upon this information without seeking counsel from a licensed attorney. Foley makes no representations or warranties of any kind, expressed or implied, as to the content of the podcast or to its accuracy or completeness, and accepts no responsibility for an individual who acts or refrains from acting based on information obtained from the podcast. In some jurisdictions, the contents of this podcast may be considered attorney advertising. If applicable, please note that prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.